but to have a family member or family members as as business partners as shareholders always for me makes the most sense as i said before because your your family in my instance and i know not everyone has the same relationship but in my instance i know that they would never you know stab me in the back i was fortunate enough to find a business partner that had strengths that were my weaknesses i think that was quite important because if you end up going into business with someone that has all the same strengths as you, um, it doesn't work. You don't, you don't need two people doing the same thing. And, and, and you know, buying properties will always be a thing, right? Renting properties will always be a thing. But will you need to buy to the same level as, as people have been buying today, particularly if you're you know, these younger generation? Hello and welcome to another episode of Inspire Pod with myself, Kurum Kang. We bring you the best interviews with leading entrepreneurs and business people in their field. Today's guest started their career as a radio host in his mid-teens in Northwest London, which led to building his own radio show from ages 16 to 19. From here, he used his experience to create student and evening events while studying at the University of Manchester. Following this, uh, from working with his father, who was a major shareholder in Pepe Jeans, he entered the fashion industry and went on to found Secret Sales, along with his brother Nish, in 2007. Fast forward today, he's also the re director of Residentially, a property tech company, and also set up a record label, Big Bounce. He's won multiple industry awards, such as Fashion Entrepreneur of the Year, Top 100 Most Influential People in Fashion, and Etail Power List, Top 50, to name a few. Today's guest is none other than Mr. Satch Kakadia. Satch, how are you doing? Very well. I don't think I've ever had in all my years an introduction like that. So thank you. That was, uh, I don't think there's anything left to say, is there? Yeah, shall we, shall we just wrap <laughs> it up now and uh, just check out the views in the back? That was, that was, that was, thank, that was, very, uh, I'm very grateful. For, um, you know, a lot that we can probably start talking about on the, off the back of that. There's, there's a few things that, um, you know, my, my conversations around business tend to not usually start with uh, the pirate radio station uh, from my teens, but I think that definitely played a part in molding my personality. So, um, you know, there's a first time for me to talk about it and maybe this is it. No, great. That, that's really exciting because you've done so much in uh, such a short space of time. We're really excited to have you on and, um, you know, we know you can add great value to all our uh, listeners out there. And Thanks for having me. And just going off the back of that, um, can you give us a, a background to your upbringing and how you started in entrepreneurship uh, from the pirate radio station days? Actually, it goes a little bit further back from that. Um, so my, my parents are from Kenya, both of them, like many others that are probably going to listen to this podcast. Um, and so I'm first generation UK. Uh, London and I was born and raised in Northwest London and, and uh, you know spent all of my days growing up there um, and like many of our parents when they came in the 60s and 70s and some earlier than that it was quite difficult for Asian people and immigrants generally to find jobs because you know there were challenges within the economy including you know racial views and um, situations that just made it somewhat harder to, to get a job. And so, you know, my father came to the UK really early on uh, in his early teens without his family from Kenya and worked in, you know, whilst educating himself at school, worked in biscuit factories and ice cream factories and anywhere that he could, you know, clean dishes in restaurants and make a living and eventually, you know, accumulated enough money to, to pay for his siblings and his, and his mother to come over one by one. Um, 
And, you know, off the back of that, both my father and my mother uh, are entrepreneurs, have always had their own businesses and encouraged me and my siblings to always start a business and not to necessarily just think about working for someone else. Not that there's anything wrong with working for anyone else, because to be clear about, about that, that is that, you know, sometimes the security that you get working within a corporate business uh, has a lot of perks. And I, I totally understand that. But, you know, what I was taught was always to work with the family, you know, because your family will, will never uh, betray you, particularly when money is involved, because things can get, you know, people can get greedy. And, you know, when things go particularly well, it can start, it can be a shark eat shark. Um, and it's not always uh, particularly easy to manage uh, when you're in that situation. And so working with family was one point. The other was obviously starting a business. And I didn't know that I was going to start my main business as young as I was, but I think it was ingrained in me from a young age. So, you know, I had, a, I was selling newspapers at school when I was nine years old uh, and making a profit on those newspapers. And it wasn't actually, you know, it wasn't something that I needed to do, right? I was buying it for 30p and selling it for 150. Um, and it wasn't, my, my parents gave me everything that I wanted. This was more just something that I, I had inside me that I just wanted to just, to just do it. Um, and then I, you know, I went from that um, and I had a problem at school because of it. I mean, you know, that again, wasn't, it's not illegal to sell newspapers. And it, what I was selling was the daily sport and the daily sport. I was, you know, super cheap newspaper, but it had topless models on the center page. And the problem was that my, the, you know, the school that I went to, uh, realized that I was selling these newspapers and ended up, you know, having an issue with me. And so I was, I was sort of semi expelled because of it. Um, and my father was, you know, at the time, you know, Oh, entrepreneur, very good like this. And it was really, quite, you know, he was, he wasn't angry at all. My mother, on the other hand, uh, was livid. And, um, you know, it sort of stemmed from there, then went into selling mobile phones and anything that really I felt I could, make some money on and then the pirate radio uh, thing sort of developed off the back of that um, having hosted some shows on radio stations and then decided that you know the money that I was paying the management of each of those stations which is called the sub costs like 20 pounds that you just pay them to go onto their station um, we decided well why don't we just start our own station and then take these sub costs ourselves so you know within the space of uh, a few months we were set up we we basically took a frequency which we wanted um, because you you know all of these things are somewhat um, blurred with what you can and can't do uh, and then we started charging all of these young MCs and DJs a sub cost to come onto our station which we called Hectic FM 105.6 and suddenly started making uh, some serious money at that age and that, that for me was um, probably how it all developed and started. And it taught me quite a lot in terms of building a network and how to manage cash and, you know, the, the basic foundations of running a business. Uh, that, that's great. And I love how you touched upon your family's background there, because um, some of the people who have been on this podcast who came to the UK in the fifties and sixties say they actually had to start a business. Otherwise they just wouldn't have ever had a job. Yeah. They didn't get a job anywhere. They would never have got promoted. And um, you know, uh, things like that just turn into benefits right especially for our our generation and talking about you know how you started with the newspapers um do you feel from that that entrepreneurship is you know born in you or is it something that you develop from your environment i think that you know i 
I've been involved in giving entrepreneurial lectures at you know, Imperial College and a few other places in town. Um, and I started thinking that you can't teach entrepreneurship because it is, you know, to be an entrepreneur, you've got to be a risk taker. You've got to be someone that doesn't take direction well. You've got to, in a lot of cases, be unemployable. Um, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, in, in the sense that, you know, you always feel like perhaps you can do things better and you try to disrupt and innovate and do things differently. And um, sometimes that comes naturally. And that was my thought. And I think, I'm not sure where, how, where, where this sits with me, but, um, you know, there are people now who are studying entrepreneurship at university, you know, and I'm interested to understand what they learn during that process because um, essentially starting a business, you don't need to be taught how to start a business. That just comes from intuition and mistake, making mistakes and learning from those mistakes. And that's ultimately what the journey of an entrepreneur is, right? Is, is making an incredible number of errors and then making sure that you find a way around them and being, having the tenacity to, to never give up because therein lies the biggest issue, right? Is, um, you know, it's always easy easier to come up with an excuse as to why you shouldn't start a company and so those people that do start companies tend to be quite driven about what they want and um, I think as you get older you become more entrepreneurial because you want to take more risks the challenge is that as you get older it's linear you become less able to take the risks because of the responsibilities that you get so children um, you know having mortgages and, and living costs and all the rest of it so um, I think that you become, you have the ability as a human to become, to run your own business, the older you get, because you become wiser and more experienced. Um, but as I say, you become less likely to do so because of the, the life challenges that are put in front of you. Absolutely. And um, uh, on your journey, when you started entrepreneurship, obviously, you know, you did a lot with your family, which is great. Can you give us a, a bit of a background to starting off in businesses and you know what that first 18 to 36 months looks like because entrepreneurship it can be glorified it can seem easier than it is on social media but of course it's not yeah. so how did how did it look for you well well i was 22 when i started my main my first main business which was called secret sales and i was you know six months out of university and my brother and i decided to run it this opportunity which you know we felt like didn't exist in the UK at least not in that concept and we wanted to you know be first to market but we also wanted to, to adapt you know the model and to make it unique to what we were doing and the customers that we were serving and I hadn't frankly no idea what I was getting myself into like genuinely no idea and, I, and the reason why I say that is because what I learned at university which was management and marketing you know in Manchester which was a top university and I studied at the business school there which was an incredible college and you know I learned a lot but I learned for the exams and I didn't learn for life and I think a lot of people make that mistake is that they learn just to get through the examinations and I think what life throws at you uh, is very different so the stuff that I took away from university uh, was probably only about a third of what I'd studied at uni and so starting secret sales i'm not sure if i needed that degree because a lot of the, the the things that i ended up learning i learned through the errors that i made and we 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 just ran at this remember like at that age i was living with my mother and my father 
they were giving me pocket money. I was eating at home. You know, I didn't have any, any liabilities or responsibilities. And so I sort of was super blind, you know, put my parents' house on the line. I, and then I didn't take a salary for two and a half years. And, and I think that is also one of the issues when it comes to, um, you know, starting a business. Because one, I'll give you an example. There's someone that I have known for a number of years who I'm sort of mentoring a little bit as you know, he's starting a business, currently works for a big corporate. And um, one of the first questions he asked me was, you know, when can I start taking a salary? And I said, well, you shouldn't be asking yourself that question because I can't, and I can't answer that question. It depends on, on how, how well your business does. Uh, but for sure, you're going to have to think about not taking a salary for you know, the first phase because your company is going to need that to, to develop and grow and to, uh, and to accelerate. The challenge is that he's got two children and he's got a wife. So he's got this desire to want to start you know, a business, which is my point earlier about you know, he's now, he wasn't thinking about starting a company 10 years ago or 12 years ago. He's only thinking about it now because he's, he's got more of the life lessons to be able to get him to do it. But how you balance that against your life responsibilities is something that only you can answer. Um, for me, you know, the journey was one where I was fortunate enough to find a business partner that had strengths that were my weaknesses. I think that was quite important because if you end up going into business with someone that has all the same strengths as you, um, it doesn't work. You don't, you don't need two people doing the same thing. Right? You need two people to do different things and just trust each other in delivering against your objectives. And my brother and I did that quite well. Um, and, you know, we were just, we totally underestimated how successful it was going to be in such a short period of time. And to put things into, into perspective, you know, like we were, we had benchmarked a, a registration process. We had people, it was a private members club, what we were doing, right? It was a, it was an online fashion company, but it was a private members club. So you had to sign up before you got access. And once you got access, you were, you were then given, uh, you know, you were privileged to, to all the, the, the unique sales that we were launching and each of these sales were time limited. And so you were getting access to things that you would never normally see on sale. Right. And we wanted 30,000 members in the first year and we got 30,000 members in the first month. Uh, and it just snowballed. It was incredible to see like Lehman's Brothers collapsed. You know, the world was going into an, uh, a recession and yet secret sales was sort of flying high. And it was just a beautiful moment in my life uh, without realizing how, how good things were going. I, for me, I just, I just saw it happening and was happy about it. But looking back, I, don't, I never really appreciated, you know, what that was. And, um, it was hard though. I mean, I, I talk about it, you know, us doing well, but it, we grafted, right? And we found a way to like make things happen, um, not knowing what to do. There was no blueprint, no one. I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have anyone telling me what to do. So I, was, I ended up having to, um, I ended up having to try and figure it out through trial and error. And a lot of the time, my brother and I would have conversations about what to do and he would have one view and I would have another view. And actually, because we were on opposite ends of the spectrum, the right solution was somewhat in the middle of that. And that's why I think, you know, our decisions in more cases than not were the right decision. Um, but having said that, you know, the amount of mistakes we made were just unprecedented. And I think what we realized quite quickly was that the bigger we got, the more expensive these mistakes became and, and the harder it was to fix. 
And so you end up trying to implement strategies and management styles that allow you to test and learn before you start doing something drastic. And we can talk about that uh, in, a, in a little while, but that essentially, it helps me understand how to be a better manager and, and essentially what to do. Right. And um, with the family dynamic as well, um, how do you feel, you know, working with family uh, as opposed to working with, you know, non-family members and, you know, building your own team externally? Yeah. I mean, I would always build an external team, uh, but to have a family member or family members as, as business partners, as shareholders, always for me makes the most sense, as I said before, because your, your family, in my instance, and I know not everyone has the same relationship, but in my instance, I know that they would never, you know, stab me in the back. Um, but I would always rely on the expertise of, you know, those that are better than me and who know more than me to drive the business forward. And I think my brother and I identified that quite early on because, you know, your business will never succeed unless you hire really, really smart people. Right? And, you know, that's sort of what, what, what we did and, and where we got to was, you know, I was 24, 25 when we raised four million pounds and um, we, were, we raised from a German group and then suddenly eBay came, came knocking on the door and we ended up partnering with eBay. Um, and at this point, you know, I was, over the world, right? I thought, wow, I've got eBay as a business partner and these guys are fantastic and all of this stuff. But, you know, you realize that as a 24, 25 year old guy, there's a lot you don't know. And so by taking this in ca cash injection, it allowed us to accelerate and to hire what we describe as the A-teams, the people that, we, that were best of breed, that were doing, you know, that were the best in their role. We just went after these people and surrounded ourselves with, individuals and employees who were just like at the top of their game and were well above what I was able to to deliver and I was learning from them and I wasn't egotistical enough to, 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 to care about them, you know um, I was still the founder but they were our C-suite so CFO, CMO, COO uh, etc and those guys were driving the company forward and that for me was just a wonderful thing you know it was a really nice period in my life to learn uh, from more from people who are more experienced, but at the same time, see the impact that they have on on my company and and what that was doing to our trajectory and and to our numbers. Right, and um, you talked about experience there, and um, you know, obviously, what what you did previously with Secret Sales has now led to your music agency now working in prop tech. Can you talk us through that journey of moving into these new fields and a bit more about what what you're doing today? Cool. So we sold Secret Sales in 2017 to a private equity firm who in turn made a bunch of commercial decisions that resulted in, um, in the company losing 20 million pounds worth of revenue in a year. So, and we were doing around just shy of 50 million when we sold it and there were 30 million in terms of sales after 12 months. So my brother and I found a way to buy the company back and we then spent the next year fixing it and then we were able to fortunately sell it for the second time in may uh 2019 since then i've been able to spend some time thinking about what that next opportunity needs to be and you know a lot of the skills and experiences that i learned as a founder and entrepreneur of secret sales has allowed me to transfer those skills into other businesses and, and residently is a property tech business that i'm involved in i'm not a founder of that business but that company is uh, changing the way in which the renting world exists within the UK and it's doing it in a way through technology. So it's 
making renting easy get, uh, on, on, on the assumption that you know London as a cosmopolitan city amongst a lot of main cities around the world you know is becoming ex extremely expensive to buy and so the challenge is that a lot of these younger generations like driving a car don't actually need to buy you know my children will never need to buy a car right because they'll be using subscription services like uber uh, and a lot of these cars in the next five years won't even need drivers so you'll, you'll be able to pick up your children through a driverless car by sending a postcode and tracking your your children's movements and things like this so it's about convenience now if you if you then take a view on property in in exactly the same light you know people might don't need to buy properties they want to live and they want to live through convenience and what airbnb did they it changed the short-term short-term renting world right um you've got you know traditional estate agents that allow you to to rent and buy um but the process to do that is quite long-winded and what residently does is it gives you the opportunity whether you're a professional wanting to work in london for six months or whether you're someone that wants to live and rent for a few years or or for a few months at a time you know, you have a very flexible service with Residently, which is cheaper uh, than, than all the other estate agents around. Um, you know, you have access to the tech, which basically means that the three-week process that it, that it takes to rent from a traditional estate agent. So let's say that I go in and I want to rent from a high street estate agent. For me to then negotiate the deal to do the paperwork and move in takes around three weeks, maybe more. The tech that we've built allows you to do it in three days. So you could, you could, and you can do virtual viewings. Uh, so you don't even need to go there. And, and during this period of COVID, it's been a phenomenal thing to see. And we, we, we started doing virtual viewings like months before COVID even came about. And then, so you can do the, you can do the virtual viewing and do the paperwork and move in with, within the space of around a week. Uh, and it's, it's just phenomenal uh, in terms of what they've built. And then what makes it really interesting is that once you're a tenant of Residently, you get access to a living app. And that living app then becomes, you know, your, your, your access point to making your life even more convenient. So cleaning, you can book weekly or however regularly you want. Same with you can rent furniture and change your furniture whenever you want. You can rent art. You can have flowers delivered every day. You can do your laundry done. You can do, literally, you turn your home into a hotel. And it's all secure. It's all with vetted professionals who will let themselves in and out of your house. And you just come in and your beds are done and your, your cleaning is done and everything is done. And so you can live your life the way that you want to live as a professional or as someone who is living a fast life or living, you know, focused on work that doesn't want to have to worry about doing all of the, the, the challenging stuff at home. And so what I've done is, you know, I own a few properties and I've put all of them through residently and I'm now living my life through the living app of Residently. So I have the cleaners coming here and doing all of the stuff and it's just allowed me to free up my time and it's a really beautiful thing. And um, you know, they raised uh, on their seed, so this was even before Series A, they raised a, a, an eight and a half million pound seed on a 24 million pound valuation after a year and a half. And so, you know, the general direction of the business is, is headed well. Um, and, I'm, and I'm confident that, it, that, you know, the management team are driving themselves uh, and the business in a direction that I think people would start to see more holistically across the UK very soon because it, it's already you know becoming more visible uh, now and will just only increase uh, over the next few weeks and months. That, that's really exciting and um, how, how do you stay ahead of the curve um, you know so residentially they're you know clearly very innovative 
um, you know, building on what you're seeing with Airbnb. How do you do that as an entrepreneur? Um, so what Residently, the founder of Residently does, and he's a very intelligent guy, um, but he sees things that don't exist right now. And so what he's trying to do is he is trying to build a platform that is, is not in any shape or form in existence around the world. And so what you do is you need to trial, you need to build an MVP, which is a minimum viable product, and you need to test it and then you need to scale it. And the way you do that without committing too much money is you put it into various focus groups and you, you know into into groups of people that can give you feedback quantitative and qualitative re like research that can then help drive certain decisions and then you end up building off the back of that and you know what he has noticed and seen is uh that there is what i've explained is that you know people don't need to buy in the future they just need to be able to find a very easy way to rent most and and, and most people around this whole world still think that and, 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 you know, buying properties will always be a thing, right? Renting properties will always be a thing. But will you need to buy to the same level as, as people have been buying today, particularly if you're, you know, these younger generations who care about environmental factors more than anything else, right? A lot of these millennials, you know, I think, um, if I remember well, and don't quote me on this, but I think it's something like, 20% of all millennials, so people that, you know, are around, you know, the 22 and 22 year age mark are teetotal, right? They don't even drink. And I remember when I was 22 years old, I can assure you that it was nowhere near 20%, right? <laughs> Everyone was, was drinking. Not even 2%. Not even 2%. And so, and then, you know, it's about impact on environment, impact on the world. You know, is it recyclable? You know, is it, has it, you know, you've got clothing companies that are coming out of recycled clothing where you've got, you know, various things that all now need to have a positive impact on, on the world and society. And I think people are changing the way that they think, you know, and it's not just about electric cars. It's not just about driverless cars. It's about everything. And so, you know, you need, I think we as people need to think about that. And um, I am convinced from everything that I know that the future of, the human world is going to be based on convenience and so you know people might want to move from property to property and with residently you can do that every every few months without doing anything they'll do everything for you right because you're renting your furniture you're renting everything and so you're, you're just hacking your life essentially and that is when things start to become really interesting yeah that, that, that's really exciting um, you can't teach that right you can't teach someone how to you have to stumble across a concept that doesn't exist for you to disrupt an industry or you've, you've got to be thinking ahead. Some people's brains work with, you know, like, like, a, like a game of chess, 10 moves ahead. And, and it's those people that are able to, and you can never predict truly because no one's got a crystal ball exactly what's going to happen, but you take intelligent assumptions and smart guesses. And, and in some cases that gets you to where you want to be. But a lot of the time as an entrepreneur, it's about, selling your vision and making people believe in what you think even if it doesn't exist right now it's exciting and um just going off um you know the back of that because we mentioned you're doing quite a few things as well um can you give a bit of a background to um, the music label um that, that you've recently started how that came about and, and what the plans are there yeah so um so bambi has recently uh 
started to re-release music and that's been a really enjoyable thing for me to see because you know during covid and during this period of lockdown it taught me a lot of things or it's given me the time to spend and learn about how to release music and what the process is and what the registrations are and you know it's been a really like like a small passion project um and bambi's worked really hard over the past three or four years in creating you know a bank of songs across you know indian punjabi to more mainstream pop and releasing music has you know i've always wanted to help her push her forward and to give her the platform and the and the pedestal that that she needs to like drive her career forward and you know a lot of people say to me like why do you even want to do that like you know she's your partner why do you not just want to have a family and you know have children and all of that and you know between me and you i would love to have a family i would love to have children right now and i'd love to to build uh you know a whole fleet of children you know i'm a massive family guy but what i won't do is i won't compromise someone's talent and career based on what i want and if bambi wasn't talented i would probably say to her to her face this isn't going to work right but what i see uh not just with her being my partner but from what i see and what i hear you know she's got every opportunity to make this a real success and she's really really talented and so i i don't want her in 10 years time to look back and think oh well i regret doing that so why well, would regret not doing that so my part my job is her partner is to open up as many doors as i can for her to give her the opportunity to walk through those doors and to make the most of her career and if it fails in the future then it, then you know at least we know that we've given it our best shot and we know that we, you know there's no regrets and we can then have a family but she needs to smash it out the park and do everything that she can to do that and so you know i've started a record label not for me but for her right it's 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 a platform and and a vehicle that allows us to control the music that we're releasing and you know she was signed to a previous record label and she had deals that were coming through from from companies and every single one of these contracts sucked right they they all look after themselves and they never really pay the artists anything and bambi was young and naive and, and immature um but she you know on the plus side and credit where it's due you know the the first record label that she worked with put her on a pedestal and gave her the opportunity and i'm grateful for that you know i think that they did a good job in raising awareness and and making her uh you know a recognized young punjabi singer um but now it's about her taking her her career in her own hands and making money from the efforts that she puts in and not you know making someone else money um and so now we're very much focused on uh, on her and her career and what she's doing and i'm excited by it i think you know what what you guys will hear you know coming up is uh really really interesting i really really like all the sounds that i'm listening to and um i'm excited for her you know she's got a whole bunch of things that we're talking about and doing even off the back of music not just music related um and you know but it all feeds into one another right it's all almost cyclical so if one works well then the other thing will work better as well so um yeah i'm i'm excited and and it's a nice thing for me why right? it's a passion project it's so different from what i was used to so it's really nice to um it's really nice to to do things differently and to and to learn about something completely new industry yeah and, and just going um, back on what you mentioned about you know obviously she she's got her own career as well um clearly you know very dedicated and busy 
and you're running a few things on your business side. <clears throat> like in, in a couple, like how do you mix that and balance that work with, you know, um, just, just having a general life? The key is to not make it feel like work, right? The key is to, um, is to, is to manage it in such a way that you're helping each other and you you know, I mean, I work quite a lot and I'm quite driven and I think that that's what's helped me, um, achieve what I've achieved. But essentially my life is around, uh, I'm quite meticulous with my time and my agenda and routine, particularly like I live my life through routine, waking up, going to bed at certain times, eating at certain times, doing all of that. And so I'm quite, um, strict with, you know, what I do and when I do it. Um, Whereas, whereas Bambi is less so. And so, you know, I like to try and give her some guidance around that, uh, which helps. Um, and, you know, because we're not doing the same thing, right? I'm learning about her career and she's learning about my career. We don't claim to know more than the other person. It's just more an opinion. And actually, I think what's important as a couple is you just support each other, right, as a unit. And you, and you help each other through your strengths. Um, and provided that the two of you, like, you know, the way I, I always see it is that if, if she makes me a better person and I'm making her a better person and a stronger person, then that, that, that will work, right? You'll always argue about certain things, but that sort of makes sense to me. The problem is when you don't see an improvement, you're, the improvement you're having on that person's life, that's when you know, particularly working in a business will never work, right? It, 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 you need to be able to be, you need to be conscious of the impact that you're having and they need to be aware of it as well. Yeah, so important. And um, you, you mentioned your, your routines there, which you've developed and trying to help Bambi with them. Uh, you know, for anybody at home trying to like improve their mindset, improve their own routines and habits, can you give a background on what yours are and what people can do to change their own? Sure, so, I mean, what I've noticed with my own personal experience, and I think everyone's different, right? But I have noticed my brain work so much more effectively when I have a routine, right? So when I wake up at the same time and go to bed at the same time, my brain just works. Your body gets into a clock. With, even without your alarm clock, you will wake up. Even without the need to, needing to want to fall asleep, you will fall into a deep sleep. And there are different depths of sleep, right? You have light sleep, REM, which is rapid eye movement, and then you've got your deep sleep. And depending on your routine, that will, that will affect how deep a sleep you go into. And, and your depth of sleep will directly impact your focus the next day and your ability for your brain to work. And of course, serotonin levels and all of the things that make you feel good. And so, you know, what I try to do is, I mean, like I try to aim to be in bed for around 10, 30, 11. Um, I'm waking up, naturally my body clock is getting me up at around 6.30. Um, sometimes I won't get out of bed until an hour after that, but I'm awake at that point. Um, and you know, first thing I do is do emails, right. But from my phone and from my bed and just to make sure that I haven't missed anything from the day before I then I intermittently fast. So one of the key traits of my, my day is not to eat until after my 16 hours of fast is taking place. And that usually breaks at around 12 to 1 PM. So my morning consists of black coffee and, uh, you know, just herbal tea, should I want to drink anything? Um, and exercise, I'll do an hour of exercise every day, whether that's running or whether it's weights or, or, or you know, body weight stuff, I'll do an hour every single day. Um, and allow myself to just get myself into a position where I'm working, you know, 
intermittently by sort of 10 30 11 and then i'm working throughout the whole day and i'm eating uh, at around lunchtime and you know the key for me is to i don't eat unhealthy food so like i won't eat super heavy stodgy oily food because particularly at lunchtime that will just slow me down so um, what i've noticed is by intermittently fasting and allowing my body to enter the process of ketosis my focus remains high and my my fatigue levels don't drop so i don't reach a slump at around 5 6 p.m i still feel pretty focused and i'm able to to continue working and actually during this period of lockdown where i've been been cooking more than i've ever cooked um it meant that we've been cooking good food and, and I'm working intermittently uh, all the way up through till about 10.30, right? And so it's sort of, uh, I've just, I'd like, I've become so much more efficient working from home. And I think that's one thing that you're going to see, by the way, on a slightly side note to all of this is that, you know, what, what COVID has done is it's taught a lot of companies and business owners that people can work from home and efficiency levels are just going to go through the roof i think i'm not the only one i think a lot of people will have noticed that working from home will have made you more efficient and i'm sure with you as well Colin, that you know you are still you know from what i hear doing a lot with your business and everything that that's going on and you don't need to be in the office to do that right and um the world is going to without doubt change with you know and whether we are shaking hands in the future i don't even know if that's going to be something that we do but for sure, working from home and flexible working is something that's going to impact us. And, um, you know, if you can then find a way to like work from home, put yourself into a routine and uh, an exercise and do all of the things that, you, that, that you're meant to do, um, you know, it's the, the, your, your, your body and your brain, your brain is the only thing in the whole world that gets better the more you use it. Nothing else gets better with the more you use it, right? None of your organs get better the more you use it, apart from your brain. So, and my dad said that to me from a young age. Um, and so, you know, as an organ, you've got, to, you've got to feed it and you've got to, you know, do all the right things to make sure that it works and exercise and eating the right food and then working in between that has been the driver for, for me and, uh, and how I feel and, and you know, it just gives me rules and parameters in terms of how I live. Great. And, and you're definitely right about um, working from home during COVID. We've had at least 10 clients who have said they're actually now building remote teams. Yeah. Productivity has gone up. It's not affected any of the projects that they're working. And, you know, maybe, you know, there's obviously opportunity there for somebody uh, you, could, you could try and take advantage on that. And a bit of a side note, again, um, what you mentioned about intermittent fasting, I personally did that and I found again, my energy levels were up. I was working till later. Are there yeah. any other hacks that you found that help you, you know, get energy or, you know, work, get more efficiency from your work and efforts? Honestly, that intermittently fasting is the single one thing that has changed my life. I've been doing it for about two and a half years consistently. I don't have, I don't do it on and off. I just, that's my life now. I just intermittently fast and I will do that for the rest of my life. I imagine. Um, but it means that, you know, I'm exercising uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm exercising during my fast. So, I, so I'm burning that much more fat. Ketosis, for people that don't understand ketosis, is when um, after 12 hours of fasting, and fasting requires you to not eat any calories, you can have black coffee, black tea, herbal teas, water, but you can't eat food and you can't have anything with sugar. And what happens is that the, the glycogen levels in your liver, so, you know, your body feeds fuel from glucose 
and those and those glucose levels turn into glycogen and then they're stored in your liver and after 13 hours the, the glycogen levels are very low and that's what creates you to become hangry right people get become angry because they're hungry and it's not long after that that your body starts to release ketones into your blood and your those ketones then go directly to fat areas in your body and they pull from fat and they and they send it to your liver to then feed so you're literally burning fat on your body to survive and so the so after 12 13 hours all the way through to 16 hours you know you're in a period of ketosis which is when you know your concentration improves you're burning fat you, your cells start to regenerate uh and you just feel focused and for anyone that does this right you will know without me having to explain that your brain just works like my brain is probably working if i was to put it into percent you know 20 to 30 percent more efficiently in terms of capacity in terms of focus in terms of memory in terms of everything when i'm fasting um but i'm not talking about an excessive fast that you don't drink and all of that you have to still hydrate your body uh, but you do so through caffeine and through other areas and you're just your your my mental focus is just through the roof and then it allows me and then when i when i do end up eating i realize how sluggish i am immediately afterwards and i realized oh my god like jesus I, I haven't even eaten that much and i wish i didn't eat as much as i did because now i can't go back to my work and focus as much so there were some real there were some some fitness experts that i know that will just eat one meal a day and that will be in the evening or at lunchtime but you know as humans if you think about you know homo sapiens and and you know the the creatures that we are we used to we used to scavenge right you, we used to only eat as as a creature once a day you used to have to go and find your food and then eat as much of it as possible before not knowing when your next meal is going to be and over over years and hundreds and thousands of years we've been taught to eat three meals a day and i'm just convinced that that's not the case um I, i'm convinced that you're not meant to be eating three meals a day and and you know intermittently fasting gives me full control over my intake of calories and my ability to keep my mind focused and for me there are no other hacks outside of that that will it, i mean there are hacks like drinking a shitload of coffee right and you can have you can do certain things that just keep your caffeine levels up and your and your concentration up but you know and there are other people who i know uh that take you know like brain pills like modafinil and you know these these smart drugs that keep you your brain just like working at 100 percent um but again that the you know they're not they're not natural and um i wouldn't condone anyone doing those things and i sort of feel as though i've seen the impact it's had on me and i've i've encouraged everyone that i know friends and family to think about doing the same yeah uh, i'm with you on that i am um... I, I did lose weight from um, doing uh, intermittent fasting. So yeah. I went back to having breakfast and it felt terrible. So I went back onto intermittent fasting because like you say, my productivity yeah. eating breakfast, it, it was sluggish throughout the day. Whereas um, not eating, that's it. I'm just banging, flying through work. Evening comes in, you know, you're, you're still productive. Um, so lo love that. And throughout the interview, you, you've given a great background on health, you know, um, the team that you work with, uh, mentors, etc. Are there any other advice or tips you can give anybody who's starting a business today in 2020? <clears throat> a few things to always consider when starting a business is that there's never a good time to start. And there's always a list of reasons why you can't start right now. And let me assure you that the longer you leave that, the longer that list will get. So if, you're gonna, if you want to start a business, you just have to suck it up and do it. 
first and foremost. Um, second piece of advice, which I think is really key, is never start a business on your own. There is too much stress and too much to do for you to take full responsibility. And unless you're an absolute superhuman, uh, it's always easier to, to share that stress with, with someone else. And, you know, all the businesses that I'm involved in, I would, I, I'm involved in with other people. People that I respect and that I learn from and not people that I, um, that I just bring in for the sake of bringing in, right? Um, and the third is, you know, if you can find a way to, to work with your family, knowing that they're not going to ever do anything to cause you any detriment, then I would always, always support that. Because for me, that's been the biggest uh, help. And I, and I hope that I can do some more businesses with my siblings at some point. Love that. And um, with a lot of people, again, you know, they want to work on growth mindset, which is a popular topic now. Uh, you know, you see it all over social media. Um, having worked with a lot of successful people, um, is there any common traits that you see within them that other people watching and listening to this can try and replicate themselves? A lot of what I am involved in now when it comes to entrepreneurial communities and uh, discussions that we have tend to be around mindfulness and about how to better improve the time of work. Like, you know, I'm not a big fan of someone working from 7 a.m. till 7 p.m. I would rather that person work from 9 till 5.30 or whatever it is and have a break in between and do so in a way that doesn't cause them a huge amount of stress. Right? I'd rather that they live life... Um, with balance and that means being mindful of your your system so you know one of the key things that I think a lot of people are thinking about now is meditation and finding ways to actually you know you go for a run and, and people exercise because they want their body to be fit but what are people doing to get their brain fit right and there's a lot of stress and cortisone levels and things that are just so bad for you and as an entrepreneur that's at max. Your stress levels are at max all the time. I mean, it's just really quite challenging. And, um, you know, I don't meditate. I would love, to, I've got all the apps on my phone and I wish I did more of it, but I just, I find, I find other ways of doing it. But, you know, there are, uh, you've got to, you've got to balance it out, right? Working all day, every day for me is just not the way to work. Uh, and it's the old, it's the traditional way, right? My, my father, as a prime example, if you're not working 12 hour days, he doesn't think you're working, right? And that's not what I believe in. I believe that you can be super effective, but you just need to manage your time. Um, and I think working 12 hour days, there's no way that you can be effective. Your brain simply cannot work that long and stay focused. So, you know, if you can fight, you know, hack your routine that gives you the ability to stay focused and to deliver what you want to deliver, then that will always be the best way. Right. And um, before we go into the, the final part of the interview, um, I, I know you mentioned, uh, you know, the benefits you've seen within your PropTech business due to COVID. What, what effects do you see for business and entrepreneurship as a whole due to COVID-19? What impact? Could you just repeat that for me? Yeah. Uh, what, what impacts do you see on business and entrepreneurship uh, yeah. following COVID-19? Well, outside of the flexible working, um, I think a lot of businesses don't realize how, how much they're in trouble um, because you've got a lot of businesses that are on furlough, right? The government's supporting the furlough scheme and uh, you know, companies have made their employees um, 
you know, either redundant or put them on furlough. And the furlough period is only being supported by the companies because the government is supporting them. Once the government stops supporting them, those companies will have to either support them themselves or take a view on making them redundant, right? And most companies will have to make people redundant. So what's, what's going to happen is once the government pull the support, you're going to get a huge raft of redundancies and unemployment, um, which is then going to have its own impact on the economy and society as a whole. Um, I think companies simply can't, even with bounce backs loans and all this stuff, I mean, it's like 50 grand will only get you so far. Um, so I'm not convinced that all of these things are workable. Um, and I really hope that, that we find a way. I mean, you know, Boris Johnson, the reason why we've gone from stay at home to stay alert is not because he's stupid. And um, I mean, some people might think he is stupid, but, you know, he's not, he's not uh, stupid enough to think that we are in the clear from COVID, right? The problem is that we in, the, in England own the capital and London drives a significant amount of GDP for our region. Um, and you cannot keep London shut for as long as we have. It just, it's not sustainable to the economy. There will, be, there will be much bigger issues if London stays shut. So it is a commercial decision to reintroduce society in a, in a slightly faster pace than people might have expected. Scotland and Wales can remain shut and stay at home because they don't have the capital, right? They don't have the same level of economical input. And so, um, you know, there are decisions that are being made based on what needs to happen to the wider society and for the bounce back of our region as a whole. Um, but because of that bounce back, the government will have to cut the support that they give these companies. It, that will just have to happen. Um, and off the back of that, companies are then going to start to see themselves in a lot of uncomfortable situations. So I just hope that, you know, people start to realize uh, those impacts before it's too late. Because, you, you know, we don't want everyone to be unemployed, right? Yeah. Um, you know, that, then it just starts to become a separate issue of, you know, what that uh, means for everyone and, and all the rest of it. Yeah, what, what you mentioned there about, um, you know, paying back, um, you know, the money and the loans. I think that's so important for businesses to think about because that money's going to have to get paid back some way or another. Yeah. And, um, you know, maybe COVID uh, effects will go on longer than we think and some business will stay shut, you know, for, for longer than we think. So, you know, it's, it's only going to go so far. Um, and, uh, yeah, moving on to the final round. So typical with a lot of podcasts, we do a quick fire round. Sure. Uh, we try and personalise it on, on who we're speaking to and, and their own background. Um, so, so first question, um, you've worked in prop tech, fashion and music. Which sector is your favourite? Do I enjoy the most? Yeah. Probably the music. Cool. What, what's uh, more important to you, following your passion or following the money? Oh, are you, you won't make money unless you, you enjoy what you do. It has to be passion. Right. Maybe this one's controversial. Who do you prefer working with, your father or your brother? I never worked. I did work with my father, actually, but I prefer working with my brother. Yeah. It's more level playing field. My father was a dictator. <laughs> we should probably uh, change that now, actually. Um, your brother or Bambi? Oh, uh, I, I will be more successful working with my brother, no doubt. <laughs> and um, being a music man, who's your favourite artist or band? Oh, 
Um, oh man, my music is so diverse, and uh, I don't, I don't have, I don't think I have a single favorite. But I'm, I've taught myself a few things over the COVID. I've taught myself how to DJ. I've taught myself how to produce a bit of music, and I've really got into um, some of my more dancey stuff. So. I'm not even, I can't answer that because it's just, it's too diverse. And, I, and I'm, a, I'm, I'm a lover of all things music, um, you know, even from rock all the way through till hip hop and, and drum and bass and garage and all of that. I have a very soft spot for garage and drum and bass in my life because of my upbringing. Yeah, likewise, always used to listen to Artful Dodger. Um, yeah. days. Um, final question, what does success mean to you? Success used to mean money, right? That was my metric for success when I was younger. Um, success for me is, has moved on from that and it's now more about happiness and health and enjoying the life that I'm living. Um, you know, there's a few things that have happened to me over the past year um, and to family members of mine, uh, which has made me realize that there's more to life than just making money. And so, you know, if I can do all the things that I want to do comfortably and enjoy life, that for me is the ideal metric for success. Right. And for anybody who wants to follow you or find out more about the projects and, and companies you're working on at the moment, uh, where can they go to do that on social media? Social media. So uh, Instagram is Secret Satch. So at Secret Satch spelled S-A-C-H. Um, my LinkedIn profile and Facebook tend to just be my name. So Satch Kukadia, uh, surname K-U-K-A-D-I-A. But it's, you know, if you were to just google the name it, there's a bunch of things that will allow you to find where i'm at but facebook and instagram are probably the easiest places at the moment brilliant and um yeah anybody listening and watching please remember to subscribe like share comment uh, inspire.pod uh, on instagram and inspirepod on youtube and we look forward to the next episode thanks again Satch. nice one thank you so much for having me